a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I had depression, anxiety, I was, I had ADHD. A lot of trauma, including previous assaults, various forms of self-harm. This week on KSL Plus. A Utah treatment center focused on helping teens now accused of causing lasting harm. I have nightmares almost every night. A sometimes overlooked industry thrust into the spotlight. Today I come here not as Paris Hilton, but as a survivor. The growing chorus of allegations against teen treatment centers. KSL investigators explore the troubling allegations behind a new lawsuit. And the response we've seen in Utah. You shouldn't have to call a state senator. You shouldn't have to call a reporter to find out if a facility has has a violation history. I'm Matt Rascone, and this is KSL Plus, KSL TV's digital-only news show and podcast. And this week, I talked to my colleague, Annie Knox, a KSL investigative producer, about a lawsuit against teen treatment centers and how the allegations highlight what many say is a much larger problem in the troubled teen industry. are now suing the Utah teen treatment centers that they were sent to, claiming that they faced isolation, humiliation, and abuse. KSL investigators really wanted to make sure that we spoke with people directly to hear about their experiences. You know, I think there's been a lot of attention to the law that was passed, and there was really vivid testimony given, but we wanted to make sure that um, their experiences were something we could communicate to people. Um, I think, you know, the power of what we do comes from specifics. You had about three minutes to tell the story on TV. We want to dive a little deeper into the story here and, uh, and maybe start with um, what these residential treatment programs are actually designed to do and, and the people they're designed to serve. The design is wide-ranging. Um, as this lawsuit notes, the VISTA treatment centers, which are the subject of the lawsuit, um, help themselves out as places that could treat anything from depression and anxiety to eating disorders and a range of conditions. How big is the troubled teen industry in the state? The last analysis that we have is about five years old. It's from the Kemsey Gardner Public Policy Institute. And they found that um, as of 2016, it was bringing in more than $400 million a year. And specifically, you mentioned Utah's Vista Centers. So what specific locations are we talking about in this lawsuit, in this story? So Vista has two centers in Sandy and one in Magna. Each is named in the lawsuit. And we spoke with former residents who had spent time at each of those locations. 
The teens were sent to the Vista Treatment Centers in Sandy and Magna sometime between 2003 and 2019 for a variety of reasons. The facilities claim to treat anything from anxiety and depression to eating disorders and substance abuse. But in a lawsuit, 26 former residents say their experiences caused lasting harm. Well, let's talk about some of their stories and the allegations against these centers. You know, a number of the women and the people that we spoke with said that they arrived at the centers after spending some time at a wilderness program in Utah and ultimately were referred to Vista for further treatment, um, more than they would have been able to get just from a few months in the wilderness programs outside. And they spent um, varying amounts of time at Vista, some just three or four months and some uh, closer to a year. And this is, uh, I mean, you go here and you're, you're there the entire time. Right. You know, um, some of the former residents described leaving for snowboarding activities, um, taking day trips, that sort of thing. But largely, they said that they were at the centers. Um, some were at different points um, as a reward for good behavior, were allowed to go home and spend some time with their family members, but ultimately came back. Yeah. You mentioned reward and the punishment reward, those those words seem to be used in this lawsuit, in this story quite a bit. Um, can you talk about some of the specifics that, that these um, uh, women are, are saying happened to them? Yeah, they described a, a point system um, where you could essentially get demerits for um, you know, anything from wearing a ponytail to maybe if you were found um, you know, having tried to harm yourself. Um, you could be punished by uh, being, in the worst case scenario, being placed in a room pretty much by yourself, um, with one or two staff members monitoring you, but without anyone to talk to, um, or really even anything to do uh, for, it seems like, days at a time. The suit points to punishment for minor offenses, like calling home to complain or wearing a ponytail without permission. The consequences, humiliation, ostracization, and isolation. You're actually just isolated in a room. That's the big thing was isolation. Publicly humiliated in front of the group by the therapist. There were a few people we spoke with who said they felt, you know, that they went there as a last resort, Um, that they had tried to get a handle on some mental health issues they were dealing with, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, Um, but that they, they really felt that after Vista and and at Vista, they were dealt more trauma that they then had to sort out. And it sort of compounded things for them rather than truly providing treatment. The lawsuit was so wide ranging and there were so many concerns brought up. We focused on specifically instances of like sexual assault that they felt were not handled right. One former student said that she felt that the isolation and um, what she called abuse um, at Vista allowed her to be groomed by a staff member there. Um, And they went on to have sexual encounters. And she says that when Vista found out, it didn't report to police. And they would all just shame me. This woman who asked KSL not to use her name says that led to abuse. In the lawsuit, she claims she was 17 when an employee took advantage of that isolation to groom her 
for sexual encounters. People like him were only able to thrive because of the environment that Vista provided. She says the man was let go, but the lawsuit says therapists and other employees blamed her and no one called police. They would encourage the girls to literally bully me and just tell me about how horrible I am. And that was troubling for her because she felt that there should have been some accountability there. In, in another instance, um, one resident was coming back on the plane um, from a trip home, and she says that she was assaulted by the guy who was sitting next to her on the plane. Again, came back and told Vista, and she says no police were called. Jesse Homans says Vista didn't tell authorities about what happened to her at age 16 either. The lawsuit claims she told employees that a man had sexually assaulted her on a plane heading to Utah. I was treated as though I had seduced him. You know, at the time, it seemed she just kind of moved on, but now that stands out to her as she reported an assault and nothing was done about it. And she said she was actually blamed um, by employees at Vista for what happened to her and was asked to reflect on, on what she did. The lawsuit says Vista therapists shamed victims of sexual assault and forced them to talk about the specifics in group sessions. They told KSL investigator Annie Knox their time there haunts them. Cold sweats, having had nightmares about it. Many, many, many months where I was too scared to even like leave my room. I have nightmares. Um, almost every night. I can definitely still get panic attacks. Now, several people said that they, you know, as teenagers, um, just it seemed normal. You know, when they were at Vista, these things were, seemed to be normal to everyone there. And uh, it took them time and conversations with friends and family. And for some, their professional training um, and talking with psychologists and therapists who said, that's not how this type of thing should go. From the perspective of the general public, it, it all seems just not right, like this shouldn't happen. Is there, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if this is something you might have heard about, but, you know, is there something to some of the things that did happen, you know, the isolation and things where that was like a part of the treatment that they were supposed to receive? Or is this just sort of a, a denial of all things? It, it certainly seems that the approach that VISTA took was part of its um, goal to, to treat people. Um, you know, the, those threads were common among the people we spoke with and among the experiences outlined in the lawsuit. Um, you know, we've spoken with an expert who represents um, basically the trade, the industry, and she had noted that some things that may seem innocuous to someone uh, who's not in the loop, like, you know, a prohibition on carrying pens around, that might seem like overkill. Um, but there may be some circumstances where a pen, somebody having a pen may actually be unsafe. They might try to use it to harm themselves or others. So it does certainly seem like there's a lot of nuance um, to, to pick through. Utah's 400 million teen treatment industry has faced renewed scrutiny in recent months, first with Paris Hilton's testimony on Utah's Capitol Hill. And this week, the KSL investigators reported 26 former residents are suing a facility claiming abuse. Yeah, now this evening, Daniela Rivera shares expert advice for parents out there who may be seeking residential care for their child. And I think one question that comes up for readers and viewers a lot yeah. is... How could parents not have known what was going on if, if what the lawsuit says is accurate and um, these troubling circumstances were in place for months and months? How could families not have known? 
So I was terrified to really tell my parents anything that was going on. Intentional misinformation being spread to our parents. And I, like, didn't know how to tell my parents that because I felt trapped. But it still happened. At their most vulnerable, they say they experienced abuse and more trauma inside residential care facilities their parents had hoped could help them. I think how the residents we talked to answered, former residents we talked to really answered that question is that they felt scared to tell their parents. Um, even on trips home, some described that the center had um, called or gotten a hold of their families ahead of time and said, listen, um, she may try to tell you, they may try to tell you that there are things happening here that are unsafe or shouldn't be happening, but that's actually not the case. So they kind of felt like they were primed to not be believed if they were to say something when they went home. They described um, having their phone conversations monitored uh, so they didn't feel like they could raise concerns in phone calls home. Mm -hmm. um, and if they did, um, occasionally if someone did, the lawsuit describes that they could have been punished for it. Um, so, you know, there's just, <laughs> that was sort of their response. Um, you know, they really felt like even if, if they physically could tell parents, guardians, families, what was going on, that they didn't feel comfortable doing it and they were scared to. Yeah. And that's something that the 2021 law addresses. It requires weekly phone calls home that aren't monitored. I think we need to enhance our transparency. Utah Senator Mike McKell says the state should make it easier for parents to learn about teen treatment facilities. Reform legislation passed in 2021 included guaranteed private weekly calls home for teens and more frequent inspections for facilities. The financial costs to these parents, I mean, they're, they're paying a lot of money to send their teens there. The lawsuit describes parents paying anywhere from $50,000 to um, closer to $200,000 out of pocket. I mean, the onus is always on consumers to utilize those services and do the research behind the products that we're, we're securing for ourselves. Mariah Hurst works with the Youth Providers Association, representing businesses in Utah's teen treatment industry. While residential treatment is considered a last resort, she says it's a critical resource for young people in crisis. I think there are people who are criminals, who have found a weakness. And it is our job to identify where those weaknesses are continually. She has five tips for families who might find themselves considering a treatment facility. First, ask about what patient outcomes they're tracking and ask to see their data. Find out if they're accredited with an accrediting body. See if they're part of professional networks in the teen treatment industry. Know that more rigorous oversight is given to providers who contract with the state and ask around. Check with other facilities to learn about a particular treatment center's reputation. While calls for increased transparency continue, Hearst believes changes made through recent reform are already improving the system. The industry is safer, the industry is better, and there are more resources available to families. One interesting component of the story, yeah. um, several of the people we talked to said that uh, their experience at Vista made them define what they wanted to do with their lives and their careers. Um, at least one person that we spoke to is a therapist and she told us that she wanted to be the therapist that she needed when she was a kid rather than you know the experience that she got at Vista. Um, a couple more we spoke to are in school and they're still studying but they were pursuing degrees in psychology so they could do something similar. The timing is, is a bit interesting just because it seems like troubled teen treatment centers have been in the news 
quite a bit over the last couple of years. There has been a lot more scrutiny to the industry in the past couple of years um, than in the past couple of decades. I think part of that is due to Paris Hilton. I feel that God gave me this voice and this platform where I can make a difference. So maybe I was supposed to go through this so I could be the one to help save them. She is a former resident of one of these centers, um, the Provo Canyon School, and she's uh, been really open in the past couple of years and in a recent documentary about her, about, uh, about her time there and what she saw as abusive practices, being isolated, and sort of what she essentially described as solitary confinement. And that center in Provo is not listed in this specific lawsuit. Right, that's separate. Um, but uh, what are you hearing from Utah's VISTA centers in response to these allegations? They declined an interview, but they did provide a statement saying they provided the proper care uh, and they said they weren't aware of any therapist that had engaged in any abuse uh, with any student or resident. Um, and they said the claims are without merit and they're confident that, the, that they'll win. An attorney for a VISTA therapist named in the lawsuit told KSL the claims are without merit, saying we do not know of any situation where a therapist subjected any student to improper treatment or abuse, and all treatment was appropriate and in accordance with all applicable professional standards. VISTA did mention um, that they have many, many more graduates um, and other residents that are named in this, that are named in this lawsuit, you know, um, that there are others out there that have graduated from the program and, um, you know, presumably may have had good experiences and, and felt that it helped them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, these centers fall under the Utah Department of Human Services. I imagine there's some sort of licensing that goes into that. Did you find anything out in that space on, you know, whether they had more up-to-date on, on all, all the things that they needed to be. Yeah, VISTA has pointed out that they have maintained a license the entire time. Um, the Department of Human Services told us that it appeared that uh, one license had lapsed, and VISTA wrote back and said, uh, no, actually, we got an extension, um, and, and we're good. In the 2021 law that passed that Paris Hilton um, had advocated for those reforms, there is already a new level of state oversight, um, more frequent inspections for a year, two unannounced. Um, there's limits on the use of restraints, um, on you know, sedating residents. I think it's important for Utah to lead out on the reforms because we are the biggest state when it comes to congregate care programs. Senator Mike McKell is looking at more changes to come. I think there have been far too many problems, and I think the reform is absolutely necessary at this point. And the sponsor of that bill has said that, you know, he didn't think that it would have gone as far and those changes wouldn't have been as strong without Paris Hilton's effect and the impact that she brought and the public attention that she brought. Yeah, were lawmakers already looking at this or was it really like in direct response to the headlines? Yeah, the sponsor of the bill has said that he was already aware of some issues and was wanting to work on fixes, that he had been speaking with state regulators, um, but that Paris Hilton lended this new sort of star power and, and tidal wave of attention. As you're talking to Senator McKell, as you are talking to these um, former residents of these centers and learning more about you know, the industry here in Utah, um, is it representative of a larger problem? I mean, you mentioned before like a $400 million industry in the state. 
there do seem to be um, more people who feel comfortable coming forward to talk about you know, what they say they went through. Um, and speaking with some of the former residents of the VISTA treatment centers for this story, um, several had mentioned, you know, I felt so alone during that time and I tried to move on afterward that I hadn't really acknowledged what happened to me, um, paraphrasing their words. Um, and they eventually found each other online uh, in Facebook groups and on Reddit and were able to uh, kind of realize just how common they said, you know, their experience was. Um, and I do think uh, with Paris Hilton coming forward, more scrutiny, um, more coverage in the news media about these centers, there seems to be more of a recognition uh, that, that oversight is needed. It needs to be stopped because I don't want anybody else to be hurt. So one common theme among the people that we interviewed was that they wanted to see some sort of change. Um, for some people, it was on the level of the industry, um, maybe even more oversight. And Senator McKell has said he's looking at you know, further tweaks. Um, so, so that seemed to be good news to some people. Others just said, I want to make sure that this treatment center isn't treating anyone else um, like they treated me. Um, and that was especially important to people who had been there a while ago and had learned of more recent cases that they said looked like what they went through um, and were really disheartened to find out that something they may have experienced 15 years ago was still going on much more recently. One thing that's come up, um, you know, Paris Hilton and others are advocating for uh, action on a national level from Congress. Um, there's a bill that's still in the works that would standardize, um, you know, increased oversight across the country. Um, and advocates like her and, and uh, Senator Mike McKell even would like to see that. Um, Republican from Utah, you may not expect to be advocating for um, Congress to step in and, and sort of set up more regulation. Um, but, you know, they make the point that oftentimes kids are being sent out of state, um, maybe passed from one facility to the next, one wilderness program to a center, um, moving from maybe multiple states and that there really should be some national standard to address these issues. This was filed the last week of March, or toward the end of the, of the month. Uh, what's next? It remains to be seen. Um, you know, there have been a number of lawsuits that have been filed against treatment centers. This is by no means the first one in Utah. Um, but it can be difficult, depending on the case, for people who sue to, to prevail, to win. Um, you know, if, if their claims are deemed medical malpractice by a judge, that can shorten the timeline and the window that they have to sue. So if they miss that deadline, um, they may be too late and, and out of luck and the case gets dismissed. Uh, medical malpractice claims also have a more of a uh, hard cap on how much money can be awarded uh, for non-economic damages, meaning stuff... Um, that's not maybe just therapy bills or um, other costs that are easy to calculate, but for more, you know, pain and suffering type things. So um, there have been legal hurdles for people who have, you know, tried to, uh, I guess, get accountability for these centers in the past. And it'll be interesting to see how far these 26 people are able to get. You can find Annie Knox's story on KSL TV. 
KSLinvestigators.com and you can submit a tip or a story idea to the KSL Investigators by calling or texting 385-707-6153 or emailing investigates at KSL.com. That does it for us this week here on KSL Plus. I'm Matt Rascone. We'll see you again next week.